Numbers chapter 21. We're just going to deal with the first nine verses. I've entitled it, Snake Bit in the Wilderness. Snake Bit in the Wilderness. If you are a student of the Word, you probably know where I'm going to go this morning. But I pray that the Lord will still use this to, to bless you and to show you some perspective that maybe you haven't seen before or that you haven't thought of in a long time. Uh, if you're not... Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, if you haven't been in the Word long, if you're newer to the Word, if you uh, uh, maybe you're a brand new Christian, you probably have never seen this passage before. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you've never seen this before, it, it's it's a bit odd the things that transpire. Now there's a there's a his, there is an historical context to it that I will lay the foundation for in just a moment. It's all very understandable. It's quite clear. But the text and what happens here with the children of Israel in the wilderness, it's it's a bit odd. However, you will see this morning that it has a dynamic connection to the gospel, to our lives, to what, to, to, to what Jesus has done and is doing for us. It has a dynamic connection to our daily walk with the Lord now. It has, it has a dynamic connection to how we uh, conduct ourselves along the way of life through the wilderness, even now. So I, I think the Lord will speak something to everybody here this morning. You just pray that prayer silently in your heart that God has guaranteed to answer one 100% of the time, and that is, Lord, your word is open before me. Now speak to me through your word. I promise you, if that's the prayer of your heart this morning, God will speak to you, and I pray that he will use this for you this morning. Our journey in the wilderness, snake bit in the wilderness, Numbers chapter 21. Well, let me just say this. Uh, where we are in the context of the word of God, this is for the sake of our newer folks, is that, you know, the children of Israel have been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. Of course, they're delivered out by Moses uh, through all the miracles, the passing through the Red Sea and, and God providing manna from heaven and water from the desert, from the rock, and all of these different things that God has done to provide for His people. Now the children of Israel are some one million strong, actually a little more. They've been wandering in the wilderness for almost 40 years now by the time we get to Numbers chapter 21. They've gone through trials and tribulations and hardships. God has blessed and blessed. They've rebelled. God has had to discipline and teach them. In the meantime, Moses, of course, has gone to the mountaintop. He's brought down the law, brought down the instructions for the tabernacle. They've been conducting their sacrificial worship systems. They've got the priestly line set up. They're be developing into a holy nation of people that love God and, and worship God and obey the Lord by, according to His commandments. All of these things are happening. In the meantime, all along the way, you know, there's been a whole other generation. It's been 40 years, and so there was a generation before. Uh, a lot of them were rebellious. A lot of those have died off. The newer generation's coming along. They're having to learn the same lessons. There are a lot of faithful ones in that generation, but there are a lot of rebellious ones as well. And so that's where they are almost 40 years now into uh, the wilderness wanderings. They're coming up to the edge of the promised land and they run into some more obstacles. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Hey, before I go any further, I got to say this. First of all, I see some of our choir coming in. Uh, let's give another hand to our choir for ministering to us this morning. Beautiful way. Powerful, powerful. They, they are always powerful in our music ministry here. Everybody in our music ministry blesses us. Our ensembles, our quartets, our ministries, our soloists, and all of that. Our choir. But there's just something special about our Sanctuary Praise Choir. Every time they're here, we all always know we're going to be in for a great treat and blessing. And we certainly weren't disappointed this morning. So thank you, folks, that... 
take that extra time to do that. Also, before we go any further, I've got to say this. Some really special friends of mine are here this morning. Larry, I don't want to embarrass you and Joan and your family, but I just noticed them a few moments ago. This is Larry Gilly and his wife, Joan. Y'all stand, if you would, please, just for a second. And your family, please, their kids. Now, he, Larry is a pastor and a friend of mine for many, many years and his family. Y'all can be seated. God bless you. Now, I, I won't tell you. L Larry... And, and, and Joan, they were pastoring up at Berrydale Baptist years ago when, when I first came here. And we became friends way back then. Larry had me up to do a revival in his church up at Berrydale Baptist years ago, trusted me with that. I didn't split the church, and, and, and you know. And, and so we, once I didn't split the church, we've stayed friends through the years. But Larry's on staff over at Olive Baptist. He also is bivocational pastor at a church in Atmore. And uh, he's asked me to come up and do a conference for him, a revival for him up there in a few weeks. So I'm honored that you are actually going to let me preach in another one of your churches, brother. So you're taking another chance. But in the meantime, Larry and his family are on vacation, and they've chosen to worship with us on vacation. Thank y'all so much. I, we're honored that y'all are here. God bless you. And uh, I don't normally single guests out like that, but I knew y'all could handle that, being a pastor and everything. But, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's always an honor for, for me when other pastors who are on vacation choose to worship at Hickory Hammock with us. And I just thank y'all so much and your precious family. I remember your children when they were babies. I'm so old. You're making me feel so old, brother, bringing these grown kids in here, these grown young adults. I, I'm telling you, join the club. I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. We've got a lot of catching up to do, and I look forward to that, Larry. God bless you and your ministry and Joan. All right, well, so anyway, here we are. Numbers 21, snake bit in the wilderness. So, so now you, you kind of know the context there. All right, turn the page if you would. Now, many of you have seen this before as we've been in Numbers. This is our last message in Numbers, by the way. We'll start in Deuteronomy next Sunday. But the bottom line is, uh, the book of Numbers is, is this historical narrative that covers a period of about 37 of the 40 years um, that they were in the wilderness. So it really is a very valuable book to our understanding of how God moved and worked with His people and what all happened with them while they were there. Um, it's called Numbers. In, in the ancient Hebrew text, the book is not called Numbers. It's called In the Wilderness. That's really probably a more fitting title because it covers 37 years of history in the wilderness. But it's called Numbers in, in, in many of the, uh, of the text and many of the, of, of the scriptures, uh, uh, manuscripts that we have we call the Bible. It's called that because there are several numberings that take place, uh, some, some censuses that take place, uh, counting the military fighting men, uh, a count of the priest and the Levites and the, the, the sacrificial system, and just a counting of the people to determine how many. There's, there are a lot of mouths to feed, and they, they're in the wilderness a long time, so that's where it gets its name from. But basically, it is a historical narrative of almost 37 years of their time in the wilderness. A lot of people see the book of Numbers, a lot of theologians and commentators and preachers of the Word see the book of Numbers as kind of a spiritual picture of our own journey because, you know, it... it, it the things that are in Numbers really happened. It's a real, real people in real time and real history, real events. But, but there's this, this spiritualization you can do when you look at it. They're on a journey. They're headed to the promised land. They're, they're going to go to the place where God is going to envelop them and, and deliver them. And, and, but all along the way, there's lessons to be learned. There are battles to be fought. There are enemies that are going to attack. There, there are times when they're in need and they have to depend upon God. There are times of desperate prayer and they watch God answer. There are times of God's hand of discipline. There are times when they are disobedient and God has to take them to the wood 
bloodshed a little bit. I mean, when you look at this whole journey, it, it, it's a picture of, of our journey uh, as we wander through this wilderness called life. And have you noticed the wilderness is getting wilder and wilder? <laughs> and, and, and along the way, we have lessons to be learned. But we're on our way somewhere, amen? We're on our way. We're on our way to the promised land. But in the meantime, there's this thing called life. There's a journey that we're on, and there are things to be done. There are people to be won to the Lord. There are battles to be uh, uh, fought, and there are, there are victories to be had, and, and there are lessons for us to learn. There's, there's godliness for us to, uh, to develop in our life. There, there, are, there, there are lessons of obedience uh, to be learned. So it's, you can see uh, the picture of our, of our wilderness journey along the way. All right, turn the page if you would. Now, as we get to Numbers 21, I've got to share with you this context of where they are, what's going to happen. You're going to hear the children of Israel grumble against God and Moses again, as they have done for 40 years off and on. Uh, and I want to set up the context. So let's look up here. I see I've got a little uh, laser pointer in my pocket I'm fishing for. I think I have it there. Let me see if it works. It does. Everybody see that red dot? Okay. All right. Well, of course you recognize this is Egypt area, what's now Saudi Arabia Peninsula there, the Red Sea, Gulf of Aqabar is what this is called now, but it's all the Red Sea. Uh, and then, of course, what would now be modern-day Israel up in this area. Okay, now, in the ancient Bible times, then, of course, they, the, the journey started in Egypt as they came out across, crossed over the Red Sea, sojourned in this area for a while, back and forth up in this area. For 40 years, they were in this, what we call the wilderness. Now, this whole area is not uh, a desert. Now, there's a lot of desert areas, a lot of mountain area, but there are a lot of oasises. There are a lot of wilderness areas. Um, there was a lot of wood, obviously, in many of the places. Places. They you know, got a lot of wood to build the, you know, the tabernacle and all the furnishings of the tabernacle. And, and you know, they had a million people. F folks, think about a million folks. I mean, that's all the people of Mobile, all the people of Pensacola, and a lot of the people in between Pensacola and Mobile. That's a lot of folks. This was a wandering huge city. 40 years, and, and they didn't just wander around aimlessly. They went from place to place, set up camp, and used the resources of the land until the resources either ran out or until God directed them to move a little closer to the promised land. So it wasn't like they were just wandering around lost. They weren't lost. They, God was doing some things. He had to take Moses to the, to Mount, uh, to the top of Mount Sinai first. He had to, had to give the, the law. He had to give the temple commands. He had to develop the priestly system. had to develop the sacrificial system. had to teach them some lessons. Uh, there, were, there was a whole generation that needed to kind of get out of the way so a new generation could come. So they weren't wandering around lost. God wasn't lost. Moses wasn't lost. So when we call it the wilderness wanderings, that's a little bit of a misnomer. But the time they were in the wilderness, Wilderness, they were in this area, and they, and they sojourned uh, all, all through this area. But the bottom line is, this big red dot represents the goal. They would eventually, of course, we'll see in, in, in the book of Joshua, where they'll come up along top of the, of, of, of the Dead Sea here, and they'll cross over the River Jordan and go into the Promised Land. All right. But in the meantime, we're going to pick up in chapter 21, and they're going to be in this area of Mount Hor. Now, it's in black letters there, H-O-R. You can barely see it, so I've put it in the big blue letters here with a green dot. Right about this area is where those million people are encamped. And, and they've got a city established there. And they've got the, t the tabernacle erected and the tents arranged according to the, uh, the plan. And, and, and a million people, you know, elderly people, middle-aged people, little children, babies, all the animals and all their possessions. It's a city. It's a community. It's a settlement. All right, so that's where they are. 
Now, here's what happens. We're going to pick up in a moment with verse 1 of chapter 21. But before that, in the ending part of chapter 20, what happens is Moses and Aaron go up to the top of Mount Hor. They take with them Aaron's son, Eliezer. The reason is, is because Aaron is dying and he will not inherit the promised land. He will not see the promised land. And so they go up to the mountain, and there's an ordination service, if you will. And God passes this mantle from Aaron to his son, Eliezer. Aaron dies on the mountain. Moses and Eliezer come down, and the people, the Bible says, the people mourn for, for Aaron for, I think, over a week. I mean, they mourned and they wept bitterly for him. They loved him dearly. And so that's what happens just before we pick up in chapter 21. But watch. In chapter, now, we're going to read this, but I just want to give you this background. Here's what happens. So while they're encamped here... The Canaanites that live up in this area, uh, warlike uh, uh, people, vicious people, they live in this area. They see this massive community of Israel that has been all down in here moving closer and closer up into this area. Well, they panic, they freak out, and so they attack, and they send uh, some troops down into that area. And, of course, these folks aren't just tightly wound around that mountain. I mean, they're encamped all in here, a million folks, so you can imagine how spread out they'd be. And so they make an excursion down into this area, and they actually capture some of the Israelites, take them prisoners of war. Well, you know, Israel is distraught over this, and so together they pray, and they ask God's deliverance, and they say, Lord, if you'll deliver us from these enemies, we will, we will destroy them completely as you have commanded us. We will be obedient. And so God delivers. Now, after they fight this battle, and it's at Hormah, right in here where all of this happens, they come back to the area where they're all encamped, and Moses says, all right, let's head to the promised land. Well, you'd think they would just go this way, but they don't. God has another plan for various reasons. One of the reasons is, is they would have to fight battles all the way through. So Moses leads them under God's direction, the Bible says, down by the path that leads to the sea. This is the path that leads to the sea. He's going to take them by the path that leads to the sea around Edom and then up towards the promised land, up into the Moab area. All right, now, it's along this way, this long journey, and you'll see some pictures in a moment of what they were looking at, that the people begin to grumble again, and things happen. And a rather odd occurrence uh, happens that we read about in Numbers 21. So, with all of that background, you're ready to get into God's Word. Chapter 21, let's look at the first nine verses. Now, the first four verses deal with this battle, and so turn the page, if you would, and, well, before we do, yeah, let me just want to show you. This is what they were looking at. <laughs> There's the mountains of Edom. So when God begins to take them down, now, I, I don't know, that's beautiful to look at, is it not? But do y'all see anything green growing there? You see any lakes and rivers and streams and oases and trees? No, no, it's turn the page. That, that's what they were looking at. And, and, you know, a million folks who were living around oases and living in areas where God was blessing and water from the mountains and the rocks and, you know, and the quail from heaven and the manna from heaven. And now Moses says, all right, let's go here. <laughs> here is where God will bless us. And we're going to the promised land, you know, flowing with milk and honey. And they're thinking, yeah, if we live to get there. Okay, so, so, you know, I mean, we're, we're going to cut them a little bit of slack. You can understand why they would be a little upset. So let's look at, the, at these nine verses. Turn the page if you would. All right, the first four deal with this encounter with the Canaanites. Now, when the Canaanite king 
of Arad, who lived in the Negev. The Negev is the southern, the, the desert area of southern Israel. I think I had that on there in that map. Uh, heard that Israel was coming. Isn't it interesting that these whole group of people is already now being called by the name of Israel as though they are the nation of Israel. They're not even in the promised land yet. When heard when Israel was coming along the road to Atherim, he attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. Then Israel made this vow to the Lord. If you will deliver these people into our hands, we will totally destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to Israel's plea and gave the Canaanites over to them. Wow, what a major military uh, victory. They completely destroyed them and their towns, so the place was named Hormah. All right, now turn the page. Now we get to verses 4 through 9. I got a lot of things in red and underlined there. This is where it gets very interesting and a bit odd if you've never seen this passage of Scripture before. So now they travel from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. Remember that, that map I showed you? But the people grew impatient along the way. Oh, gosh. Aren't y'all glad they'd never done that before? <laughs> well... Oh my gosh, here we go. They spoke against God and against Moses. And they said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to that wonderful place where we had everything given to us? And <laughs> how soon they forgot. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? Remember what they were looking at, okay? There's no bread here. There's no water and we detest this miserable food. Now, that's what the NIV says. The King James, if you have it, says, and we detest this light bread. And actually, the King James is a much more literal translation. I like it better because, you know, we detest this miserable food just seems to me, it's too general to me. It's like they were just upset with the general fare that they had. But what their specific gripe was about, they were mad that the basic sustenance of their life still was manna from heaven. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. They called it this light bread. We want some heavy breads. We want something with some yeast in it and some little, some, some of those big fat yeast rolls with butter on them and <laughs> some fig preserves and some scrambled eggs and bacon. And some some of y'all said, hurry up and quit preaching. I feel a lunch coming on. I mean, you, you know, but I mean, that's, that's what they were doing. It, it, it wasn't that they were just upset with the general food. They were speaking against the bread of God. We don't, this miserable light bread, we don't like that. We detest it, verse 6. So then the Lord sent venomous snakes. Darn, I don't believe I'd have said all that. I don't believe I'd have been taking that back sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. I, if I saw a bunch of snakes coming, I'd die just seeing the snakes coming. <laughs> the people came to Moses and said, Time out. <laughs> we take it back. <laughs> we sinned. We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray for us. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. They better be glad I wasn't Moses. I said, Lord, bite these folks some more. I'm just, I'm just John, John said, oh my gosh. See, 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 aren't y'all glad I'm not Moses? But I am y'all's pastor. Y'all remember that. 
<laughs> no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just being funny. I, you know, but, but I mean, you know, we've been on this journey, those of us that have been in the Word here together. I mean, Moses has put up with this for 40 years. He's just doing what God tells him, and he's just obeying the Word, but he's got these rebellious people that are constantly just detesting everything God does, and so they're going to take it out on the man of God, of course. And, you know, I, Moses had to be a very godly, patient man. And, and, you know, and, and, and they go to him and say, we've messed up again. Go back in the tabernacle. Go back in that tent. Pray for us. Work some of your magic. Get these snakes away from us. So Moses does. Moses intercedes for his people like the loving pastor that he is. And he prayed for the people. Verse 8, and the Lord said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses. Now, Moses, here's how we're going to remedy it. Now, this is odd. If you've never seen this before, this is odd. I'm going to admit it. But you're going to see how beautiful it is in a moment. But it is odd. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who's then bitten, now that make, of course, he's going to fashion a snake. He's going to mold one out of bronze. So it's not a real snake, of course. He's making an image of a snake, putting it on a pole. And God says, now anyone who's bitten by a, a real snake can go look up at that pole and that'll be their healing. They'll live. Now, if you've never seen this before, that's odd. You don't have to agree. I mean, you know, because it is. All right? But he says, you look at the snake on the pole, and you'll live. So Moses made a bronze snake. He put it up on the pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Well, there you go. Sounds like a common sense solution. That's what we'd have figured out, isn't it? No, that's the furthest thing anybody would have thought of. But God said, I've got an idea. I've got a way the people can be healed, and I can also show them something prophetically at the same time. All right, we'll see all that in just a few moments. But anyway, all right, so does everybody have that? You've got the context, you see where they are, you see what's happened. Now you see how it's all unfolded. Turn the page if you would. And now we're going to look at these three points of focus here very quickly this morning. Discouraged along the way. I want to address that because that's how that verse starts off. The people got discouraged along the way discouraged along the way, then this detesting of the Lord's bread, and then this thing about snakes in the desert, and, and all that God did with sending the snakes and putting a snake on a pole, and what's all that about? So let's deal with these three things. Turn the page. Let's talk about this discouraged along the way. Here's the deal, folks. Here's the thing. They're discouraged along the way. Miracle after miracle for almost 40 years. I mean, God brings quail from heaven, manna from heaven. They don't have water, so Moses takes and speaks to a rock, and the rock bursts open and water for, I mean, enough water for a million people and their animals. I mean, we're not talking a stream. We're not talking a little, a little spring that bubbled out of the ground. We're talking a river flowing from the mountains that wasn't there, that God just spoke it into existence. The people had seen all of these things, a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day, and, and, and the deliverance through the Red Sea, all of the miracles in Egypt, the Passover, the night of Passover, and the deliverance under the blood of the Lamb, and over and over and over and over. When the people had rebelled, Korah's rebellion, and God split the earth. And I mean, they had seen all of this, and they still got discouraged along the way. Folks, listen, I'm on this journey with you, so the next few things I'm going to say are not to beat you up. They're to beat us all up for a minute and just get a good spiritual perspective. Do you know we still do this same junk to God today? We, we still do. We, it's, folks, listen. I am just a man like you are just a man or a woman. 
and, and I love God with all my heart. I'm born again. I'm saved by the blood of Jesus, not because I'm something special. I happen to have been set apart to preach the word, but, and, I'm, and, and I praise God for that. But apart from that, I have no special anything that you don't have. We're on this journey together. I have the same doubts and fears and discouragements and depressions and all of those things that you deal with. Uh, it's just life. Life comes to my doorstep. It comes to your doorstep. Um, I, I'm, I'm becoming more and more a man of faith. I believe I've come a long way in my life. I still have a long way to go. Um, and so we're in this together. I understand what it means to get discouraged along the way. I do. I just got back from Peru. Man, God put us on a mountaintop. We went down there, went down to represent you. The people were so glad they received us. They stuck me in five worship services preaching that morning. My first service was 6 o'clock Sunday morning. I was in the pulpit preaching a message at 6.20 Sunday morning. That makes the 8.30 service here look really nice to me now. You know, I used to complain about that. Now, the 8.30 service, I felt like it was noon this morning when I was preaching to them. I mean, by 8.30 last Sunday, I had already preached two or three services. Uh, man, I was pumped up, fired up, had several more to go. Uh, so anyway, so, so all of that happens. I mean, people are saved. 20, 25, 30 people are saved. Man, we take all that money down to the school. The teachers are just going crazy, and the people and the kids and the church, and they're just loving us, and we're on mountaintop, and I get on that plane to come back, and I get off the plane, and I'm so excited. I go home, lay down for a nap, and I lay down, and I didn't get out of bed for three days because I... I was sick as a dog. I can't go to Peru without getting sick. Now, I heard some of y'all go, oh, y'all do that again for me, please. Aww. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, you want to get discouraged. I mean, I had it in my mind. I ain't going back. Pat, you were with me on the first trip. This man right here, yeah, he's a Sunday school teacher and a deacon and a great man of God and a good friend of mine. We were down there the first time, a bunch of us from the church, uh, your wife, of course, a lot of folks. I'm not trying to leave anybody else, but I'm picking on Pat here because I got so horrible sick. And they had to call doctors, and they were putting in IVs, and they had to come to the house. I couldn't get out of bed. I mean, I was like a dish rag and laying in the bathroom floor. And I'm not going to get, you know, descriptive, but y'all have been there before. Y'all have had this. And, I mean, it was just horrible. And so, and so, anyway, and so on our very first trip, this happens to me, some years back. And so it, 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 we're coming to this last time I'm supposed to preach. And I, it, and I had been preaching two or three messages over and over. We've been preaching from churches all over the area. And they said, look, just take two or three messages. We're going to use a translator. So don't come up with 15 different messages. Just take two or three and preach them over and over. And so we've been doing it all week. So I'm laying there. I can't preach. And so guess who got to preach the last service? <laughs> Mr. Deacon Sunday School teacher here. And so guess what sermon he had to preach? One of the, that he'd heard me preach 85 times. And so Pat gets up there. He preaches, man, God's anointings all over him. And, and Pat is a good teacher and preacher. And God's anointings on. People are saved. Things are happening. He's on cloud nine. And boom, he gets sick. <laughs> I mean... It's easy to get discouraged along the way. So I came back this time, sick as a dog. I'm laying there in bed, oh, Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. By the way, I was tested for swine flu. I'm serious. That's how sick I was. I had a doctor come to the house and test me. I really thought I had brought some nasty stuff back to y'all, and I was going to make sure. But anyway, it wasn't. It was just a bad intestinal virus. But I remember laying there in bed and said, I ain't going back. I ain't going back. Now, when I came to my senses and after the snakes bit me, I went ahead and said, now, Lord, I can't say that. I, I can't say that. I'll do whatever you say, Lord. But you know, you know, I know, I understand. It's easy to get discouraged along the way. Folks, listen, here, here's what I want to share with you before we move on. L life 
is life. It's filled with a lot of blessings and a lot of wonderful things. But there are, there's a lot of tough things that come our way too. And if they haven't come your way, hang on, they will. <laughs> it's just life. And I'm not trying to be scary or be ugly. It's just life. God will give you the strength and the ability and the grace to deal with it when it comes. But the bottom line is, here's the perspective I try to keep, and I want to pass this on to you. I've said this before, and I want to pass it again. And I'm not telling you that I live it a perfectly every time, but, but I try to remember this. If today God never answered another prayer for me, if today God never blessed me again, I would still have to worship Him and praise Him and thank Him for the way His hand has been over my life and that He has chosen to put His hand of salvation over me and that I am saved by the blood of Jesus. Whether He answered another prayer or blessed me again, ever, ever again, I have no right to be discouraged along the way in the presence of my Savior who is guiding me by His hands all along the way. Y'all give Jesus a hand of grace. That, that's, that's the promise. Now, it's not always easy to remember that. And sometimes it's even a little harder to live that out especially when the discouragement comes. But folks, be careful that your discouragement, watch this, doesn't turn to faithlessness and to griping against God, blaming God, because that's when our Lord will step back and say, okay, have it your way for a while. And that's when you get to go to the woodshed. <laughs> I want to encourage you this morning. If you are here this morning and you are discouraged along the way, Set your heart on things above, S-Y-H-O-T-A, Sihota. <laughs> Set your heart on things above. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Understand and know that you're a precious child of God in the hands of God. You're, you've got a goal ahead of you. You're headed to the promised land. God is using you along the way. Yes, discouragements will come, but God has a plan. He knows what He's doing. He hadn't forgotten you. He hasn't let you out of His hands. You belong to Him. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Set your heart on the things above, and God will bless you and bless you and deliver you along the way. You can give the Lord a hand of praise. Okay. So, all right, turn the page. Turn the page. All right, then they detested the bread of the Lord. Okay, we detest this light bread. The problem with that is, though, that was the manna from heaven. <laughs> that was God's gift to them. They didn't detest it when they set out in the wilderness and they were starving. And that came from heaven. In fact, they were instructed not to gather too much of it. Some of them were so hoggish and liked it so much, they gathered too much of it. Y'all remember that? But all of a sudden now, this bread that has sustained them all along the way, the bread from heaven, the bread of sustenance, the bread of God. Now, 40 years later, they've still been a million people in, in places of oasises and in deserts. But even in the desert places, water from a rock, bread from heaven, quail from the sky, God provides. And they're saying, hey, but we detest all of that. We detest this light bread. I remember we used to eat meat in Egypt. Yeah, with chains around your ankles. And it was the meat that your master threw away from his table, idiot. How quickly we forget. I'd rather be eating bread falling out of the sky with no chains around me. How quickly they forget. People, hear me, hear my heart. And God's people today, thousands of years later, from time to time, still detest the light bread of God right. as it comes down out of heaven. 
to know what the bread is that we feast upon for our spiritual souls, sometimes our physical well-being, our mental well-being, is this light bread of God from heaven. Now the bread of God, the true bread which has come down from heaven, Jesus said, Jesus said about himself, he says, it's me. Jesus said, the true bread is me, as he pointed to himself. He said, I am the true bread. Whoever eats of me will never die. We know that. But the light bread that we feast upon day after day after day, the bread that comes down from heaven, the manna from heaven, the bread that we feast upon is the word of God. And I'm telling you, folks, one of the greatest heartaches to me as a pastor, and I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, please don't take this personal except for what the Holy Spirit makes personal in your life, but I'm, is, is almost a quarter of a century ministering in one place, I have seen this time and time again, where people say, I belong to God, I love Jesus, you know, I'm a Christian, but then they live their life as though they detest the light bread of God. And, 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 and people live in, in morality. I mean, make decisions, conscious decisions. You know, people live together before marriage. That's called fornication. People commit adultery. They have relationships with people they're not married to. Uh, people get involved in all manner of sin and integrity issues and lying and cheating and, and stealing. And, 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 uh, and they justify it all. And then when the word is brought to them, I detest that deals too much with my life. <laughs> Besides, I detest that light bread of God. I've got, I've, got, I've, got, I've got things that I'm trying to accomplish here. Surely God will understand. Are, 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 you, are you hearing me? One of the greatest heartaches in my life as a pastor. Folks, this is, you know, this is not a cult here. We, we don't look in anybody's windows. I have no desire to control anybody's life. We just don't do that here. We're a big and growing church, and we're busy, and we've got things to do, and people to minister, people that are hurting, and we do that. But along the way, people come. They say, look, I, this is going on. What can you tell me, Pastor? Or along the way, somebody's life has taken such a turn, and the sin has become so public and so apparent and so obvious, and we've got to deal with it. And you've got to go to the person. You've got to say, brother, sister, do, do you see what's happening? And a lot of people respond with gracious hearts and open hearts. There's nothing more thrilling for a pastor to have somebody just say, you know what, pastor, you're right. I'm wrong. H help me get back to the Lord. Oh, my gosh, I live for those moments. I I'm not here to condemn anybody. I'm a man like you. I get discouraged along the way. I get off the beaten path every now and then. And, and, but it thrills me when a, when a person who calls themselves a child of God comes to the light bread of God, comes to the Word of God and says, you know what? This word's right, and I'm wrong, and I've got to get this right so God will bless me. But what's so heartbreaking to me is you come to people, others with this same word who claim to be children of God, and they say, well, I see it, but. And you know what you're inviting? You're inviting the venomous snakes, that demonic presence. You're opening the door to Satan, and God will remove his hand, and you just get ready. And it breaks my heart, and I see it over and over and over again. So see, that same principle still applies today. Let us not detest the bread of God. Amen? Let us learn this word together. Let us love this word together. Let us live this word. Let us bolster and encourage one another to live it. Folks, when you see me outside of it, lovingly come to me and help me. When I see you outside of it, I'm going to lovingly come to you and help you. And together we'll take this journey together. But let us not detest the bread from heaven. Amen? Give the Lord a hand. Let us not detest the word of God. All right, turn the page. So it's all connected. So you got discouragement along the way. Then they say, we detest this bread you're giving us. 
And so the next thing that happens is snakes in the desert. Now, warning, <laughs> snake picture is coming. Now, I put this up here for my precious wife. I saw about 20 people looking at my wife. See, if you know my wife, you know she is not afraid of snakes. She's not terrified of snakes. She's mortified. If you, you can't, you can barely, you can't say to her, I saw a snake the other day. Don't say that to her. Where'd you see it? Oh, in Santa Rosa County, I'm leaving. You, you, can't, you can't say that. We moved to our new house seven years ago. She saw a snake in the backyard. It, all I could do, I, she was going to sell the house and move. I said, baby, there's snakes everywhere. What? I said, we're in Florida. Okay, so now this is not a joke. I'm being funny, but don't go to Pam. I had it. Listen, Daniel, where's Daniel? Daniel comes up on stage. I'm up here hugging all the kids this morning, and I'm hugging people's necks. Daniel comes up with a box. He opens it. That boy, if he comes up with you a box, go the other way. <laughs> There's no telling what he's going to pull out. Daniel opens this box, and I look in it, and I thought it was filled with snakes, but they're caterpillars. But I don't mind telling you, I about came unglued for just a second. And then, no, you don't. If you've got a snake in that cup, man, huh? Okay. A caterpillar. All right, y'all have found some caterpillar somewhere. But, I mean, we've got some nature children around here. And you don't go to my wife with a box and say, I've got a snake. Pam often totes a knife with her. Some. You don't go to her and say, I've got a snake. She'll show you her knife. <laughs> okay, now I've had enough fun with that, but I, I'm telling you, I put because I know some people, men and women, they're just people that just hate snakes, okay, have phobias. All right, so I put this up here. But I want to show you this, and the reason I want to show you this is because I don't know. Now, you, you, can, you don't have to look. I've, I've warned you, so you can just close your eyes. And, and it's not gross or anything, but it's a picture of a snake that is very common to the desert of Arabia, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and of the Negev of Israel, it's called the horned viper. I don't know if that's what it was that was in the wilderness that day, but these things look demonic. They look like rattlesnakes with devil horns. I I'm telling you, you're going to see it in a moment. They're horrifying. And they say that when you get bit by them, your body feels like it's on fire. It feels like somebody put gasoline on you and lit a match. Now, and then they kill you, and it kills you. I, that's horrible. First of all, to have to get bit by something that ugly and then have to die that way. All right, now the Bible says that these fiery serpents is what the King James says, and that's what the Hebrew says. The NIV tones it down a little bit and says, the Lord sent snakes, okay? But these were some nasty things. All right, everybody doesn't want to look at them. Close your eyes. Turn the page. That's an ugly-looking thing right there, isn't it? Isn't that nasty? And look how they bury up in the sand and burrow up in the sand like that. It's kind of like if, if any of you have been floundering, you know how they're buried down in the sand. You've got to really look hard. Now, now, here's what I discovered when I did some research. Again, I don't know if it was this variety of snakes because those deserts contain many varieties of snakes, but this particular snake is prolific. And apparently, I mean, the desert is alive with these things. And if you don't know what they look like and how they bury down in the sand and where you're going, you can be in for a mess very quickly, okay? So I wanted you to see this because now we're going to look at what really happened and we're going to talk about the principles real quick. I've got some stuff to share, so I've got to move along. Go ahead and turn the page if you would. All right, go ahead and click through all of them and just get them all up there, all the little points, because I'm going to see it. All right, so the Lord sent snakes. The Lord sent snakes. No, folks, the snakes obviously were there all along. 
Now that's huge. They were there all along. But God had been protecting them from the snakes. In fact, when I went and looked at the Hebrew where it says God sent the snakes, that word sent, that's our English definition, but the Hebrew word, it had literally, without, without any exaggeration, about 30 different definitions of that one Hebrew word. And not completely different, but variations. And, and, and it's sent is an okay English word, but it's more like God appointed, or God allowed, or God loosed, or God removed his hand, and the snakes that were already there did what snakes do. Now, folks, there's a spiritual principle to think about. As we're on our journey along the way, I wonder, for the, as you're walking in obedience, as you're loving the Lord, as you're not detesting the light bread of God, there's a spiritual principle that says God's holding back stuff that's in this world that you don't even know. There's a demonic realm that He's holding back off of you and your family. There, 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 there are attacks that would come against your finances, that would come against your health, that would come against your life, that God's holding back. Oh, no, God, listen, when the Bible says God sent snakes, I know sometimes people read that and they get this picture of God sitting in a rocking chair up there saying, Hey, Michael, bring me that bag of snakes. <laughs> no, the poisonous ones. <laughs> Moses, here. <laughs> bring some more. No, no I didn't. that's not what happened. The snakes were there. Oh, you like that? Maybe you like that. The snakes, the snakes were there all along. Here's what happened. God, as a million people are marching through the desert, what are the odds that a prolific variety of these nasty, venomous, sneaky snakes hadn't bitten a bunch and killed a bunch? But nobody had been bitten or died. And they're marching through a million feet and their animals stirring all up the sand. And, but God had been holding back miraculously like he had done everything. Now, he hadn't pronounced to the people every little thing he's doing. They're just journeying along the way. Folks, I think about that sometimes. As I said, I've been a pastor in one place for a long time, and I've seen enough things that have happened and attacks against this church, attacks against me and my family and you and your families, and I've watched and I've seen how God has revealed, how God has blessed, how God has destroyed, how God has protected, and I realize, oh my gosh, if we didn't have the hand of God over us, we would have been destroyed a long time ago. What is God holding back that we don't even know? It's amazing to think about. And so this is not God getting a bag of snakes and dumping it out on His people. This is God lovingly holding back what's in the wilderness as they're marching along the way. And then when they cry out and say, we don't need your hand and we detest your bread, God with a broken heart says, okay, okay, for a little while. And He takes His hand of protection off. And what's already there begins to do what it normally does. And the people see it and they say, oh my gosh, how stupid we were. Are you getting it now? That's a whole different picture than the way most people approach that scripture. Folks, here's what the Lord put on my heart to share with you. And I got to remind myself of this. I'm going to remind you. You don't want God's hand of blessing off of you. I'm afraid, and I don't want to get too political here, but I'm afraid that's what's happening to our nation. We've been under God's hand of blessing, and I think he's lifted a finger and another finger, and I, the day he takes his hand off of us, we are ruined. We are ruined. People, said, people ask me all the time, do you think God has taken his hand off the United States? My answer is, no, I know he has not. 
Not yet. Not yet, because when he does, we're over. Has he removed some fingers and loosened his grip? Oh, yeah. You can see that. Now, but let's apply that to a more personal level. You don't want that in your life. If you belong to the Lord, you love that light bread that God has given you, you be as obedient as you know how, and when the Holy Spirit convicts you that you're not being obedient, you repent of it, and you get back in line with the Lord and just love Him. Set your heart on things above, and let His hand of blessing and protection stay over your life. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, obviously you can see the connection of the snake and even this serpent, this bite with the horns. It looks like Satan. It looks like what you think Satan would look like. And you can see this connection of sin and Satan. Uh, but, it, but, but look, you remember in the Garden of Eden, the serpent that, uh, that um, tempted Eve? Folks, I've said this before. I'm convinced with all my heart that was not a talking snake in the garden. I, I really don't think so. I know the Bible says the serpent, but what it says in the Hebrew is that nakash came and tempted Eve. And the word nakash means one who whispers magically, who hisses enchantingly like an enchanter. But yet that word has another meaning to it, and it's also used to describe a snake. Because why? You see, it has a double meaning. Why? Because what does a snake do? Hisses and slithers and kind of slips up on you without you knowing it. So what a more beautiful description to describe Satan, who's one of the most beautiful creatures that God ever created, but yet who entered that garden with deceit in his heart and started whispering magically to Eve and saying, did God really say that? God didn't really mean that. You know, if you eat of that fruit, you're going to be like God, and that's what he doesn't want. You know, that's what it was. He was the most beautiful thing that Eve had ever seen. If Eve had seen a talking snake, she'd have gone, ah! <laughs> Took me a while to get my microphone up there. Wouldn't you? She didn't see a talking snake. She saw Lucifer, the shining one, Nachash, whispering magically. And so all through the Bible, Satan has called these different things. But you get to the New Testament, what does Jesus call him? That serpent from of old, that snake. Satan's not a snake. Jesus is speaking metaphorically here. He understands the, the guile, the, uh, the, the, the deception of Satan. So we see this whole, we see the spiritual connection here. It's like the snakes in the desert are like the demonic around us. They're there, <laughs> but God's holding it back. The wickedness that surrounds you and your families every day. But because you belong to Jesus and you're under the blood of the Lamb, God's holding it back. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Let's just thank you. Thank you, Lord. So you don't want his hand off of you. Amen.